0: Creation stories really are a compass, I think. They give us an orientation to our place in the world. I like to start with how there was a whole other place called the sky world above the earth. And the earth at that time was covered with water. In that world up above, and the beings there were very much like humans in the sense that there was a man and a wife, and the wife was pregnant. And like humans, desired a certain um, Food And what she wanted was the roots of this tree that was called the tree of light. Because she wanted this root from this tree of light so much, she ran over to it and began digging underneath the tree to get to the roots. But the ground started falling away. She started falling towards Earth. And all the creatures down on Earth were looking up and saw her coming. And the geese came up under her and helped her.
1: Stories, stories as the origin of stories, will take you back to understanding that you are just but a mere speck in the vastness of all of creation. You feel, sometimes you feel unimportant, but to creation you are important creation needs you and you need creation and the stories guide you and help you
0: I have about 100 stories inside my head and usually when I do storytelling I have no earthy idea which one I'm going to do I'll get called for performances and I remember going to one time where I was sitting there and this woman came out Mr. Lewis we're so happy to have you here we'd like to have See to whatever you need, water, whatever you need. By the way, what stories are you going to tell? And I looked at her and I said, I have no earthly idea. Blood drained from her face. She just looked at me and then looked back at everybody else and said, this man has no idea what he's going to say. We got 300 people waiting for him. He has no idea what he's going to say. I looked at her and said, it's okay, it'll be all right. And I started and it was fine. Uh, because I have so many stories inside my head, I'll just start talking and I believe something else comes through me and just starts to flood on out and this energy takes over and I just run along with the ride, just along with everybody else. But sometimes I get requested for a story. And one of the earliest stories we have from our traditional uh, background is uh, the first fire. A long time ago, there was no fire and all the animals were cold. And while they were sitting there and they were cold, bears walking through the woods. As the bear's walking through the woods, he sees a storm building up and there's this island over in the distance and it's surrounded by water and lightning striking around and bears watching and one of the lightning bolt comes down, strikes the old tree and sets it on fire. As the fire and flames are coming off that tree, Bear looks at it for a while and says, It looks like the sun. We should get some of that. So he has a council meeting. calls all the animals together and says, Behold, there's a glow in the distance. It looks like the sun. We will call this fire. We need somebody to go get the fire. And all the animals in the council, they all raise their hands. They all want to be picked. Me, pick me, pick me. So each one of them wants this honor, and Bear starts going through the animals. Says, you, come forward. And the first animal comes walking up, and it's a raccoon. He says, raccoon, you will go get the fire. You have beautiful white skin. We can see you from long ways away. Go get the fire. You're a good swimmer. You're smart, too. And the raccoon says, I will go get the fire. I'm not afraid. Dives in that water and begins to swim. Comes up, and that flame is going up and down that tree. So the raccoon's watching a sea and trying to figure out a way to get up there and starts to climb that tree. As he makes his way up there, he decides, I need to see what this fire looks like. What am I getting myself into? And comes across this knothole and starts to peek inside. As he's peeking inside, looking inside at the fire and the fire is burning, it starts to pop like fire's dough. Boom! And it pops and it hits that raccoon in the face. And he screams, ah! And comes falling down off the tree. And when he lands, he gets his tail stuck in one of the roots of the tree. And as the fire is burning around him, he can tell his tail is on fire. So he starts to scream, ah! and grabs his tail and finally pulls it out and swims all the way back when he comes back all the animals look at him and Bear says who are you and the little creature says I'm raccoon and everybody says look at you you've been burned or something your white skin it's all gray looking and then the little raccoon says it's scary over there I don't want to go back and everybody says look at your face which is hard to do and so raccoon goes and looks at his face inside a creek and there's a black mask across that face and then everybody says look at your tail so they all turn around and Raccoon's turned and looks, and his tails ring like the rings around a tree. Raccoon looks at that bear and says, I'm not going back, it's too yeah, scary, I'm going to sit
2: over here. Tewa, uh, I'm from Santa Clara Pueblo and uh, my greetings to you uh, and uh, the pleasure that I have to share some thoughts and perspectives with you about a very special story uh, that in a sense is a story of sustainability and is a story that is very ancient within the context of Puebloan peoples. And so the name of this, this story is really a Pueblo story of sustainability. And I invite all of you into the world of Pueblo people because the story actually is a story of emergence. It's a story that uh, is shared and if anything can be said about what is in common among Puebloan peoples is that we share a common story. Although we are very diverse, we have different languages, uh, many different customs. But what we do share is this story, and this story of emergence is shared in many times in many places within the context of Pueblo communities to describe and for us to remember to remember uh, what is our responsibility, what is our relationship, and what is the nature of the journey uh, that we take as a people, as a community.
1: is albuquerque now every generation that ever comes after us has a it's hard to understand everything about the world moment in truth everybody has an idea that comes from personal knowledge our point of view and you can observe that there are really some far out realities out there so what is our platform our view of the world is it something different and apart Does it blend harmoniously to add our own spin on things? The place we see may not be clear enough, and we may not be successful. It takes a community to step in and help. The first understanding we have since childhood is knowing who our relatives are. Our family members by blood and our extended family. Is our relatives the earth and the animals too? We have to decide that. There's importance to knowing who you are, your place and storytelling, origin stories. I've invited here with me, Dr. Corey Still. He's a citizen of the United Katua Band of Cherokee Indians and the first generation college graduate. Dr. Corey's research and works centers around indigenous higher education and telling the stories of native students to help bring awareness to issues of equity and diversity in colleges and universities across the country. Learning from his own traditional stories, Corey ties story work into research and furthers the literature of previous generations of indigenous scholars. He currently works as the director of scholarship operations for the American Indian Graduate Center, the oldest and largest native scholarship provider in the U.S., and is also a nonprofit. Corey, you're currently the director of operations for the American Indian Graduate Center. What is that? about? What do you do?
3: Yeah, so as the Director of Scholarship Operations, um, I oversee all of our scholarship programs for Native undergrad and graduate students across the United States. So American Indian Graduate Center has provided um, over $350 million in direct scholarship support to our students and to our scholars since our inception um, over 50 years ago and so i oversee the distribution and um, just kind of the application processes and things like that for all of our scholarships
1: okay and how how does that work in the scholastic world for original people who you're
3: helping so i mean one of one of the ways is it's um, meeting the unmet need of our native scholars so we know that there's there's often these myths with Native students that we get free college and we get all these other things, and, and that's not true. Native students don't receive free college. You know, they do receive scholarships, but many students still have unmet needs as they travel through higher education, whether it be at a private institution, public institutions, two years institutions, tribal colleges and universities. And so the work that we do is always try, uh, striving to try to meet the unmet need of our scholars. We've been doing this now for over fifty years. We have garnered a, a great deal of partnerships and have impacted many areas of Indian country and have funded scholars. You know, as, as we think as we think about when we first started, there were very few native lawyers, very few native PhDs. And since our inception alone, we have funded over sixteen hundred lawyers and over two thousand native PhDs. So when we think about it in the context, you know that's indigenous knowledge being funded that's um indigenous research being funded that's indigenous sovereignty being protected by those those lawyers and politics uh, politicians so i really think there's um said when we talk about you know what's the effect on it when we think about education education has the effect in everything and uh, you know we've been very fortunate to be able to help a great deal of scholars a great deal of native movers and shakers throughout the world, throughout the country to to help them attain their degrees.
1: I'm going to ask you a little bit more personal on this question here because you did mention about bringing Native American students interested in getting higher education, higher learning. What is your origin story in that? How did you begin? What were some of the challenges you
3: had? So I'm a first-generation college student so when I was growing up college really wasn't something that i thought about college really wasn't something that i thought i could attain a lot of it dealt with being raised in a community where while there was a high majority of native people there was still a lot of racial inequities being told from an early age from people in the public school system that i attended at the time that i would only grow up to be a drunk you know really kind of plays an effect on um, a native student's well-being as i kind of journeyed through elementary school and high school that kind of always stuck in the back of my mind so i it, it whether i knew it or not it was kind of a hindrance of do i do i even belong in higher ed like higher ed's something i can't do and it, it wasn't until um i had a i, I transferred to an all indian high school and had a, a teacher by the name of augustus smith And she was the one that really started making me believe that I could go to college. And so as I decided to apply for college, really probably my senior year, um, I was very fortunate to be awarded a Gates Millennium Scholarship through the American Indian Graduate Center. And the Gates Millennium Scholarship was a program that was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that, in essence, took away the financial barrier for the students. And so it was a scholarship for not just Natives, but African Americans. Hispanic, uh, Latinx, and um, Asian and Pacific Islanders. And so I was really fortunate to be able to be a part of cohort, the cohort of 2009 and started my journey at the University of Oklahoma and thought I was only going for a four-year degree, um, was voluntold by a mentor that I was going for a master's degree, and then got voluntold again that I was going for my PhD. Voluntold. Voluntold, yes, <laughs> voluntold. I wasn't, I wasn't volunteered, I was voluntold. And you know like i said so i mean there's more to my story but you know there's that's that's the summation yeah
1: it must have been really hard transitioning from you know regular grade school high school into a college environment i mean were you still with your family that you could see regularly or was it different
3: um that was probably about two and a half three hours away from my family um not too horribly bad but not Close enough that they could come every weekend, (laughs) Um, so it was it was just the right distance for me still to be able to stay connected with my community um, for all of our traditional uh, gatherings and our cultural gatherings, but far enough away that you know I I didn't have to be home or could you know couldn't go home every weekend.
1: Uh So you didn't feel any disconnection at all.
3: Um. Yes and no, because as I as I left. My high school, which again was a, a Bureau of Indian Education high school at the time, um, I went from a student population where I was the majority as a native student. in fact, all of there were there at the high school, we were all it was all native high school. It was a federal school, um, and I went to a non-native college and university, or historically what we know as a PWI, going from the majority of where I see. You know, I, I saw people who looked like me, who talked like me, who, um, you know, we may not have been the same tribe, but we could relate to each other. Um, and then going to an, really an environment that didn't even know Native people even existed still. And encountering those questions of, oh, wait, Native people are still alive? Are there still Native people here? Or, oh my god, you're a real Native? You know, and definitely, um, definitely a time that um, took some adjustment.
1: Yeah, I can imagine there's probably a lot more there than we want to share tonight. But I understand that uh, actually the adjustment could be very dear. Yeah. All right. I want to ask you this then: What is your idea of the creation, as far as the universe, that you want young people to consider? Because why I'm asking this is not coming from a far out place, but saying that I feel it's very important that we know our place, our standing. We're not just Americans. We all have an original place. You're one of the few lucky ones that when you say, yes, I'm an American, you actually are. You know what I mean? You're, you, you know where you came from. I believe that there's a lot of people listening that may not have that grounding and Without that grounding, it makes every other decision in your life that much harder to make or good decisions. So from that standpoint, would you just sort of give voice to some of your thoughts? Well
3: first and foremost, and this is something that my grandpa taught me growing up, first and foremost, um, I'm Katua first. am not non-American that that was first and foremost that's that's how we were raised is that first and foremost we're Kutuwa, we're Cherokee first that's how we're raised that's the community we were raised in and then we were American after you know we were American and Oklahoma citizens after that but it was always centering our indigeneity and our indigenous our indigenous identity. I think you know we talk about not just creation but to me it's the mindset and how we engage in the world around us and for me that's really looking at our stories you know i i know we've kind of had some conversations off the air before this but in those conversations you know i talked about how stories really are regardless if you're indigenous or not if we think about it stories are the first form of, of our education if you think about it it was through stories that we learned as a young child, whether those be stories that we were told orally from our grandparents, from our elders, from um, our older older community members, or whether those were stories we read in books, or the stories that were read to us as we were going to sleep. Anyone from any background probably has a moment in time where they can remember being told a story. And I guarantee you that probably nine out of ten of those times, that story held a lesson of some sort. And so when we look at stories from that perspective, stories are one of the oldest forms of education. They're one of the oldest forms of transmitting knowledge.
1: You're beginning to see that this is a fairly complex idea. So we're going to invite Dr. Corey to come again. This is part one of three. So for now, this is Dave and Dr. Corey, and this is Albuquerque Now. We will see you next week.
2: I will try not to sing out again. I want to get out of this rain for my texts I just keep trying written for the one for my texts I'm going to get out of my fate I just